Welcome back to another episode of Season 3 of the Environment Agency Abu Dhabi podcast, Naturally Educated. I'm your host, Abdurrahman Zaabi, and as ever this season, my co-host is Tim Elliott. Abdurrahman, it's a pleasure to be back with you, and i got to say, I'm kind of pleased because we're celebrating the Year of Sustainability. It's COP28 at the end of uh, the year here in Dubai as well, so everything's kind of coming together. Absolutely, Tim. And as always, guys, we'd like you to make sure you're following and getting in touch with us. So if you'd like to reach out with any comments or even a story to tell, do let us know what you think. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi. One word. You can also find us on our website or YouTube at Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like and hit the subscribe button wherever you find your podcasts. Now, today's episode, and you kind of hinted just there, Tim, is all about sustainable architecture and sustainable cities. And when I think about that personally, I always go to what am I doing to kind of contribute to a sustainable city, let's say, or sustainable architecture? Uh, Do you recognize or um, do you happen to have any sustainable aspects within your home? You really put me on the spot now. Um, <laughs> do you know what? I, I I try. I really do try. I mean, one of the things, I've got two teenage children, like, uh, okay, a boy and a girl. And that's something that I guess that a lot of people can relate to. Because if you've got teenagers, they tell you what to do in no uncertain terms. <laughs> so I try not to leave a tap running. I try to, I try quite hard to recycle now. And I would, you know, I would wash out you know, a bottle or a tin or whatever before I put it in the recycling. I try to be kind of careful with that. Um, I don't have a big powerful car, uh, I have to say as well. Um, Light bulbs are generally, um, you know, not the old school light bulbs that uh, we used to use. So I'm doing what I can. I'm not sure it's enough. That's great. I mean, I I hope so, because even the simple act of, let's say, uh, not switching off on all the lights in the house, maybe just switching the one that you use. Mm. To me, that is that is taking an initiative and being sustainable about uh, about the energy you consume. Well, it is. Right? I mean, I'll tell you something. I, I moved house a few years ago and I lived in an old villa uh, in the UAE here and it wasn't the greatest insulated place. Now, I've moved to a much newer building. It's a much, I guess it's in a, a greener community, if you like. Mm. But the difference in the bills is it's, uh, and I kid you not, I pay about a third in the summer when it's really hot in wow. electricity and water bills than I did. So it, it can it can really make a difference, not just in what you're doing for the environment. And I don't want to lecture people because you know, <laughs> I, I'm not in any position to do that. But it can really save money too. That's true. Of course. I mean, at the end of the day, it it, it matters a lot if, if you're uh, if you're spending a lot on, on electricity and water and so on. Mm, no, exactly right. I mean, I you know that's that's been a big kind of bonus to to my life, I think. And it, and then it makes you think if you're saving money, what else can you do to make a difference? I mean, I I've been to sustainable city here in Dubai. Mm. I've not been at Mazda City for, for a while, but I've been at Sustainable City reasonably recently. Uh, and I had no idea before I went there about, you know, grey wastewater, black yeah. wastewater. I had no idea about biodomes. Um, and, you know, all of us, I guess, we we learn and we're, we're asking questions, you know, what could we do to make a, I, I guess, make a contribution. And if you're doing that, it always strikes me that 
that's the first step that's that's the biggest hurdle is to make the decision to make the change that's true you know i, I was actually lucky enough to live in mazar city uh, as a student mm. and i also visited um, the sustainable city in dubai um, you know what's interesting to me about these uh, two places is the fact that you really don't need a car to to get things um, to get to things around around where you live you just have to walk to to where you want to go and you get things done so uh, to me, the fact that everything is accessible, everything is close by, is such a huge plus. It is. And those little electric golf buggies are great oh, fun yeah. to drive as well. <laughs> yes. That's the truth. <laughs> okay, Abdurrahman, let's let the guest in. I know he's knocking at the door. All right, Tim. So let's get to our interview for this episode. Chris Swan is Mazdar City's Associate Director, Sustainability, CSR, and he's with us. Hi, Chris. Hi. Nice to meet you. Pleasure to have you here at Naturally Educated. Um, thank you for taking the time to uh, chat with us today. We'd like to start with asking you a question, very general one. Um, from your perspective, what are sustainable cities and sustainable communities? Well, sustainable cities and sustainable communities is in itself a really, really wide subject. And the building of these places involves many, many different parties. So... Each of these parties bring different things to the table. So from that point of view, it's understandable that people have different ideas of what is a sustainable city or a sustainable community. So at Mazda City, we had to make choices because there are many people looking at this area. There's many great ideas around the world. We had to kind of hone down and focus what we believe is important to us. So on this front, we um, made some very key decisions to define our version of sustainable cities and sustainable communities. First and foremost is putting back humans back into the center, the center of design, the center of urban design. So instead of designing for roads or the car or infrastructure, and we've seen planning where people have layout the infrastructure landscape, and then what's left is the plots where you build buildings, we turned Hawaii upside down as an exploration to define our version of a sustainable city which leads to a sustainable community. Chris, one of the things when you have a sustainable city and a sustainable community and you have the people there is for that area to be recognisable, I guess sort of culturally, uh, really, so that the architecture is is something in keeping with the country, the traditions of the country. So I'm wondering if that is that kind of the next step to make it look familiar to people so that it's comfortable for the community there? Most um, certainly, because as I mentioned just now, when you put people at the centre, so you're addressing the needs of the people, you put them first. And in terms of needs and people, of course, there's a pr the practical everyday of how you interact with buildings, how you use the buildings. But there is also a, what I call it, a spiritual dimension of people's needs, the, the psychological part. And that is um, puts into place something that's really, really important. The idea of the sustainable community not only is building for the present and the future, but it also connects with the past. 
using the example of Mazda City, the project that I've been working on for the last decade and a half, if you look at the planning where you put people first, it does speak back to many of the traditional cities that were built in these regions where buildings were close together, where buildings were used to protect the, the streets and the pathways. One of the defining characters of Mazda City is this kind of network of walkable pathways that connect the courtyards. Now, we did not invent this. This was something that's done centuries old. It's worked in the past. And we use it as a way, as they have done in the past, to channel the movement of air, create uh, wind corridors to improve the comfort of the outdoor environment. Cities have been doing this for centuries, especially in the olden days where, of course, there's no air conditioning and no mechanical comfort systems. We are replicating some of these traditional ideas, but in a modern medium as a kind of base for defining a sustainable city. We know that sustainable architecture promotes, uh, you know, and encourages green building practices and tries to ensure health, a healthy environment for its occupants. And through, through the design aspects that you mentioned, uh, putting the people uh, first in, in the design uh, is an important way to do that. Um, could you share with us more about how does it impact the occupants? How does it promote, um, let's say, health um, and general well-being? In the idea of um, any city buildings, there are multiple layers from the the large scale, the overall typology of the city, right? The districts that build up the cities and the district the districts composed of buildings. It has its own infrastructure, and the buildings is they have the entrances and the people move through the entrances and they use the buildings inside and eventually get to their room. So there's this kind of hierarchy of space. I think very importantly in the idea of building a sustainable city and the community that derive from that, you have to address all of these different aspects so that the experience when you engage in this environment is seamless and as to your point, that take care of the health and well-being. Let me share with you some examples. In the street patterns, now we'll go back to Mazda City as an example, right? you're walking in shaded streets. The shading does not come from additional mechanical shading. They're simply just shading by the buildings. The buildings are shaped so that for as much time as possible, you keep the sun away from the walkable area, your first line of defence. Then you orientate these pathways to optimise the wind blowing through. If you Google Mazda City, right, you notice that it's in a certain orientation um, uniquely by itself, and it's approximately 45 degrees to the north. There's a very simple reason for this, because in that particular location, most of the time, the wind comes from northwesterly direction, or 45 degrees. So the whole orientation of the city is meant as a wind catcher. So that it further enhances the outdoor environment. Then you get inside your buildings, right? and now you shift from sustainable cities to sustainable architecture. Right? And all the buildings of Mazda City have very, very strong green 
credentials. The envelopes are designed in such a way to um, enhance the thermal comfort of the occupants inside, to protect you from the sun, to protect you from the glare. We have done a lot of study about what is the right ratio of glass to solid wall for windows and and found that um, somewhere for an office building, somewhere in the region between 30 and 40% um, glass to wall is the right number where you can allow enough daylight to come in, right, to work inside, but not uh, so much that you get glare and a lot of heat in and not so little that you have to have the lights on all the time. So there's a balance. There's always a balance. Then there's the air system inside. We take great efforts to take care of the air quality inside the Mazda City buildings. Air, fresh air is higher than usual. In fact, we regularly have it 15% above industry averages. So with this fresh air, you know, it comes just feeling better. You're less likely to feel sleepy after a big meal, you know, after lunch. And all this type of thing comes uh, into play. So the, so the air system, the lighting, the, the, the relationship of the people using the building to the outside, the views, it, it all comes back to this point of what's it like to be a human to engage in this environment, human-centric people first. Mm, that's brilliant. I didn't know there was so much thought behind it. I I thought it was random that I was happy all the time there. Is that a... <laughs> turns out it's not a coincidence. <laughs> no, we designed your happiness. <laughs> After a man, you're just a happy guy. What can I say? Um, Chris, that's fascinating because one of the things that I always think, as much as I love living in the UAE, I'm going to say something slightly more controversial. This is a harsh environment to live in. For people living here 50 years ago when air conditioning was scarce, which, you know, your forefathers, Abdurrahman, um, it's, a, it's, very, very, it's a hard place to live. The heat, the humidity, the salt in the air, the sand in the air. Creating a sustainable city and an environment like that, I, I guess, is something of a challenge, surely. It's a challenge. Absolutely right, but it is also a blessing. Okay. We are exploring uh, one possible way to live in the future. Right. I use the word one possible way because I'm absolutely sure there are other ways that could be equally valid. But in this one possible way, working very harsh environment, if we can get it to work, and this is the mission that we are on, um, then... It means for other people that we share knowledge with who may be working in a less harsh environment, it would be slightly easier. So we're working at extremes. If we can make the extreme case work, then we can make it work for everybody. All right, Chris. Uh, if you don't mind me jumping to a, a subject that is similar to um, the question Tim asked, is what, what are the main components that make a community more sustainable? Could you give us more example uh, as to how communities now uh, lack specific aspects that make them sustainable and how can we encourage that in, in future cities? The idea of community is normally associated with connectivity. Right? That's first and foremost community. You would naturally expect that there are 
people who are either working together or living together, communicating. There are family units, there's office units. You want them to communicate. So it's about connectivity. Right? And there are multiple ways of doing this. And I think one of the experiments that we've been carrying out at Mazda City to address this issue is the idea of mixed development as a first and foremost. What do I mean by mixed development? It means that if you take a slice of society or a slice of city, yes, you have the office, but you also have the shops and retail that supports it. There's the residential, there's the community services, um, your clinics and, and all sorts of things, sports facilities, a bit of public realm. You, you can take this slice through. And um, that's exactly what we did at Mazda City. It's no accident that if you look at the use breakdown of Mazda City, it's roughly about 60% residential, 15% commercial, right? And um, there's a, a small light industrial element. There's community which covers schools and we have universities, um, we have we have just recently opened a kindergarten, right? And there's the the regular um, schools in between that. Uh, Gems is coming in. They they are um, on the drawing board. So the whole cross section on the education sector is is also part of that. So it's a slice of society. That's what we mean by, by mixed use, as opposed to traditional mixed use, just to make sure you can live above your shop. So it goes much farther than that. And once you do that, then you increase the opportunity that different parts of society, different parts of the community would be interacting. And it's possible then um, to drop off your child at kindergarten and go to work, right? And then the the shopping mall, and we have a shopping mall in Mazda City, is, is open, right? And you can do that, and that's within like three minutes walk from your office. So this kind of connectivity is all things that's encouraging the community. And then you have to create the space for it, right? We love courtyards, okay? They're protected from the sun, and they're good meeting places. We make openings that drive the air through so they feel cooler than your typical outside space. And people just gather in these spaces. So the idea of the proverbial chance meeting, right? And I've been involved in a lot of those personally. They're, they're, they're great, right? Somehow a comfortable environment just, in, just kind of encourages you to talk to strangers, right? Um, so all these kind of different aspects comes together. There, there's no single silver bullet. It's just a number of things that comes together and sometimes they come together accidentally, but you have to create a foundation for those accidents to happen. Fair enough, fair enough. And, uh, you know, this is incredible that you, you've opened my eyes to design and the importance of design. I mean, I grew up in Abu Dhabi as, uh, as, as where I lived, and I, I noticed how the city was built around commuting, was built around um, you know, vehicles. And in a lot of ways, vehicles obviously are not environmentally friendly, therefore not really sustainable, and sort of discourages this um, interaction, meeting people, meeting friends become really challenging. Um, you know, I did study in the U.S. as well. And similarly there, I felt that issue of, of meeting and connecting and 
you know, obviously meeting people and connecting is, you know, equals happy, uh, more sustainable and hap uh, happier people in, in general. It's interesting that you say that because what you, you have to do, and Chris, can I, can I put this to you? You're, you're clearly passionate about sustainable cities, about sustainable architecture, about encouraging people to become a sustainable community. But how do you encourage that? How do you get people to think in a sustainable way? How do you get people to buy in? Because it's more than, you know, offering great public transport, sustainable transport or cycle lanes or biodomes. Where does it start where you can really get people to buy into the idea? The idea that you're mentioning is at the very heart of when we talk about the mindset, right? And in mindset is a very uh, topical subject. And oftentimes we would say, yeah, yeah, if only they have the right mindset, they can live greener or whatever. Yes. It's interesting. It's always they, isn't it? It's not I or we. It's always they. <laughs> and so, um, uh, yes, let's stay on this they bit, right? Everyone knows that we should be driving less and driving smaller cars or greener cars. But the point is that this mindset is still a challenge because the thinking is they should drive a smaller car. It's never <laughs> I should drive a smaller car. My car is fine, right? I'm not the problem, right? So this is, again, thinking the relationship with the individual to, to the, the masses. And, and when you um, delink these two, then you run into problems. And I think a lot of the people um, at Mazda City are having worked for a while. One of the things that happens to you when you work at Mazda City is that you suddenly realize you look in the mirror and you are part of the problem. Then you, then you wake up and you hope to be part of the solution and that drives you forward. But as an aside, as an aside now coming back to how to deal with people, um, sustainable city itself you are building fabric, right? Sustainable fabric, sustainable infrastructure. There are buildings, there's uh, bricks, blocks, concrete, steel, right? And then the, by themselves, they don't mean very much. So you will get some people moving into these buildings, right? And they will be in these sustainable buildings, sustainable architecture. And they will just use it like they would use any other building. But what I have personally experienced at Mazda City is coming across the person who gets shocked at the end of the month in an office when they see the electricity bill being substantially lower than what they're used to. They say, how can this be? Right? And so that's good and it's bad, right? It's, it's good because the building is doing its job. Right? The, the bad side is that you know, or as an opportunity. So this is a wake-up call. So Mr. Manager, right, now you can see what the building can do without your help. It would be amazing what building can do even more with your help. So the building has a role in communicating to the end user about the possibilities in this case. And this is what I'm driving at. All the work we're doing, you cannot force people to change their minds or change their ways or change their attitudes, 
right? But you can use building as an example to help this shift. Then, in particular, in the work that we do, we go one step further. We have a lot of outreach and engagement um, with the community, with society. We, we deal with a lot with schools, multiple um, uh, school visits, and um, it goes all the way from schools to mayors to governors to companies and we talk the same thing all the time right okay this is what we build this is probably the mindset you need to change to be part of the journey and you do it one by one um, and we tell people that everyone has a part even something as simple as Let's say when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, right? Do you turn your tap off <laughs> when you're actually brushing your teeth? <laughs> right? Or you leave it running? Yeah. Right? Okay. It's a small thing, but it's a mindset, right? And once you do that for that 30-second uh, running water, then that starts triggering you into being conscious about your lights and the consciousness spreads into your temperature setting right, um, of your air conditioning system, and just step by step. There is no easy route, and I think the best way is this: do it uh, one step at a time and by example. And we hope to think that Mazdaar City, through the infrastructure that we built, is part of this transformation process of the mindset. So it's, it's, it's that kind of, the idea is really to take a lead. I mean, that's a great tip. Just, I wonder how many people, when they brush the teeth, morning and night, leave the tap running. I'll just leave that out there. After a man, you're laughing. <laughs> Promise you, I switch it off. I, swear. I, I believe you do. But things like that are so important. I, sh I, I feel a lot better, actually, Chris, because um, three and a half years ago, I'd always had four-wheel drives living in the UAE. And I always felt very manly. I looked really cool, I thought. I probably didn't, but I thought I did. Um, <laughs> and I threatened for a long time to sell my car and buy a really... Uh, cheap, a, a cheaper run-around saloon car. My son was learning to drive. I didn't really want him driving my big car. And I did that. Uh, and it's changed my life. I, it, it's so much cheaper in petrol. It's so much easier to maintain. Um, and it's, it's much more environmentally, I suppose, friendly uh, is the phrase. And it's not difficult to do. But doing that, and I think what I'm doing is backing up your point, has made me think about other things you know, how much water I use, where I set the AC. And I, I've kind of kick-started, I suppose. And I, and I guess this is kind of one of the things that Mazdar does in taking a lead, Mazdar City does in taking a lead, is you kind of kick-start a mindset if you look at a sustainable city and a sustainable community way of living. Yes. And so if you think back, let's say something simple like waste separation at home, right? When did it start? I mean, I am, my family is doing waste separation. But um, certainly when I was very young, that did not happen. Somewhere along the line, it happened. So how did it happen? Was it something you read about or something you saw? Was it, you know, the, the facility was there and it was promoted? I mean, if you think about that, that's one simple transformation, how it happened. And, and you actually break it down. Actually, many things had to happen before 
that became more business as usual, so to speak, right? So that's something that people relate to because most people now just say, yeah, it's the right thing to do to separate your waste. Right? And this transformation is exactly what I was talking about, about the transformation of energy use and water use. The mindset change that comes with it doesn't come overnight. doesn't come overnight. And there are multiple things that need to come together. In the early days of Mazda City, I think we struggled to communicate what we were about and what we do. People saw it as a kind of cool development, right? And you had a green story, which has made it cooler, but that wasn't the point. The, the point was how do we tip the scale to make this a catalyst of change? That was the challenge. Right? And now today, where a lot of people say, yes, I can now do energy efficient building um, as becoming the norm. So whilst that is happening, we have currently have under construction at Mazda City fully commercially viable net zero energy buildings right, under construction. So the design is done and um, construction is on its way. They're coming out of the ground. And now this is our next kind of wave of development. Again, taking the lead to show that you can be uh, environmentally sustainable, socially sustainable, commercially viable and it's the first step to make a kind of dent into the climate action and but the thought process is the same we push and you think about um what you need to do to shift yeah and you, i mean to your to your point it's it's the power of of building good habits changing a bit of your habit here there and so on but the um, you know the 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 uh, kind of the benefit of design is actually sh shouldn't be dismissed in, in some way. Um, I'll give you an example. For instance, when it comes to Mazlar, which is the PRT uh, transport system, it's basically an autonomous uh, vehicle. It's it's automatic. Um, and it, it, you know, it goes through a specific path and so on, and transports people from one place to the, to another. And to a, lo a lot of people listening, it might be something pr you know simple and so on, but. To a lot of the kids and the families that go there, this is an attraction. This is something they, they go to experience. And to them, this kind of design um, of, of a mode of transport simply is fascinating. Yes, I mean, we've been talking very much about the buildings and the fabrics, but you're absolutely right. The movement part, the mobility side of it, um, which is what cities are at the same time all about because people will move around, have to move around, need to move around. Um, there's a, a parallel development at Mazda City that deals with mobility from what you mentioned, the PRT system, personal rapid, uh, rapid transport, um, inaugurated in 2010, uh, driverless transport on a predetermined route. We since then been developing what we call a second generation where we have the, the autonomous minibuses actually above ground out in the sun. The first PRT could not be out in the sun because the batteries were not strong enough 
to cope with being in the sun. They could not provide sufficient cooling inside, but now we've got second generation. And and even we are planning ahead for the third generation, like an all-terrain <laughs> um, uh, version. But let's not forget, I mean, that's technology and it's fantastic. And we're working with industry to develop those ideas. But mobility goes beyond that. If you look close in the details, right, the cycle tracks, the e-scooters, the jogging tracks, uh, they, they're all also interweave in, in, in the city. Also, looking in the future, the, the reserves for the light rail transit in the future, that also comes from Mazda City. And there's even a location for a future metro station. These are all long-term thinking that is um, uh, well-planned from the past, very, um, what called sort of well-orchestrated uh, ideas, a top-down approach. Thank you to the leadership of Abu Dhabi for this kind of holistic thinking. So everything is, is set in play and things will happen in its right time. Uh, I'm not trying to demean mobility. The number of cars we have in the city um, for field need, the emergency access, um, ambulance needs to get in and out, uh, fire vehicles need to get in and out. We comply with everything that the Department of Transport um, uh, requires of, of us. All that is in place. But yet, you know yourself when you walk through the city, you feel as though you are walking in the, in the pedestrian city. That's design. Chris, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was it's all very well to have a sustainable city, to build a sustainable city. It's obviously an expensive thing to do, but we have cities all over uh, Earth. Cities cover a tiny percentage of the Earth, something like 2%, but they're responsible for something like 70% of global emissions, which is, you know, that's hugely out of whack, obviously. I mean, what can we do if it's even possible? to be better, to kind of retrofit, if you like, sustainably, the cities that we, you know, we have? How can a city like London or New York or Hong Kong or wherever uh, be better? So the whole discussion about um, what we do with existing fabric um, is ongoing, important, critical, um, I think everyone understands that. Uh, we at Mazda City have been doing some work in the world of retrofitting and we've been engaging with the community at large, um, going to people's, looking to villas, uh, working with government agencies of how to reduce operational water and operational energy. Uh, but for sure, there's only so far you can go because buildings, um, age and technology has a big part in this. So our thinking is that one look at, at it holistically and take a practical view of what is possible, right? What is possible? Because if you have an existing building, there's two ways to look at it. First, you say you have, um, let's say, not very efficient building from a energy point of view okay and then you have a choice from there as you continue using this building 
you can either demolish it and build something that is, let's say, for sake of argument, net zero energy, ticks all the boxes, or you can try and repurpose it, right? So it's not a straightforward judgment call. It's actually a very, very complex question. And there are tools out there to help you with this question. If you are looking at it from a climate point of view, you would be looking at, for example, tools that help you in life cycle assessment, where you assess the the carbon emissions impact from uh, from cradle to grave and sometime possibly beyond. So regardless if it's a retrofit for a building or demolishing a building, a build, new building, you can put this together and make a informed decision of how to use what you what you have. The life cycle assessment uh, methodology is not commonly adopted today, but it is picking up a lot of ground because it provides you a more numerical approach to see what's the best way to do what's in in front of you. So that's kind of one way of doing it. And then there's the... <laughs> There's another dimension of this I would like to talk about, and I go back to Manchester City. Right, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, right, we were designing buildings, and for they're very, very green buildings. The, the building we built for the Siemens Corporation was the first lead platinum building in Abu Dhabi. It's forty-six percent energy saving, fifty um, percent water saving. So at the time, it was a great building by all green credentials. But here's the thing, 46% energy means 54% energy usage, right? Which is causing a, a footprint. Or another way to put it, um, within our holistic view of how we move forward as a city, now we have a number of what originally very green buildings, and they are very green buildings by today's standards still. But to address climate change and the take on climate action, those buildings too need their own retrofit program, despite the fact they are amongst the greenest buildings at the time. So that's to me is a bit of a food for thought, right? Where we have if, with the retrofit challenge, it's not it goes beyond just let's say the whole fabric of Abu Dhabi. Even what we are building, we need to look back what we have built and what improvements that we can make. So that is being looked at at the same time. That's great. That's actually a very hopeful and uh, positive outlook, I would say, that, that things are changing in some way. Uh, and, you know, as we go on and as the year come by, a lot of the building um, s- sort of uh, ideas of how we live our lives and so on become more and more sustainable, which is, which is great. Um, I want to sort of take things to the macro level to finish off uh, this fantastic episode. Uh, I'm interested in, in your perspective uh, on two things, specifically the um, uh, you know things that are integral um, to the year here in the UAE. First off, the year of sustainability, as you know, 2023, as well as the COP28, which is the conference of parties for people that are listening, uh, the UN Climate Change Conference. Um, it runs from November 30th to uh, December 12th of 2023 in Dubai. So 
I want to know your perspective, Chris. What does it mean for the UAE to be hosting, hosting such an international event like COP28? And in climate change terms, what do you see host, uh, emerging from com commitments that the UAE has made and is continuing to make in the future? That is a, a um, macro question, so I'll give you a macro answer. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yes. Uh, what I see is um, the level of effort that's going on at a countrywide, nationwide level to reach out both globally and locally, right, to find solutions, but not only find solutions, to push the agenda, right, and, and to push for action, right, I think is staggering, right? And I'm telling you that from first-hand experience in my day job and the, the kind of request that is coming through from the leadership level of what we need to do. And what we're being challenged to do is to, whatever we've been doing in the past, to further excel and to accelerate tackling climate change. Right? For Mazda City, you could say we, we are tackling climate change from day one. If you look in our media from 2008, we declared ourselves to be a zero carbon city, right? Just that we know it's very hard and every building that we do is an improvement on the last one that moves towards this goal and until now we're getting to the net zero energy. Next step will be net zero carbon, addressing embodied carbon, the energy used to build the building. And we're working on a plan on that, right? So we're already doing that. What I'm seeing is that uh, no matter what we're doing, there's a communication that, ev from in the, especially on the building side, everyone should be doing this. Right? So the approach we are taking is becoming more and more business as usual within the UAE, which I think is fantastic. And therefore, if one of the outcomes locally about COP28 coming here is that it further inspires the country to move ever so much faster forward, I think that's a very big positive. On a global scale, the, the discussions, communications, agreements that are going on to partner and push for this energy transition, right, is also accelerating the role of the UAE across the world, right? So all these are positives, right? And that's the way I see it. Absolutely. And and it all started with you guys from Mazdar City. So you guys were the catalyst. <laughs> One of the. <laughs> it's a huge local success story, Chris. Chris One is the Associate Director, Sustainability and CSR at Mazdar City in Abu Dhabi. Chris, it's been really Really interesting to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining us. In my absolute honor and pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. That was such an interesting conversation. A lot of the things that we discussed, I honestly didn't know about. Do you know what? It, Chris is a fascinating guy, Abdurrahman. And I think if you look back at what we've just heard there, one of the things that I think he reiterated and it became really clear was the idea of 
mindset, the idea of taking part, and the idea of really trying to do your best. And he, he wasn't at any point saying, look, you have to do this, you have to do this, mm. you should be doing this. It was just, you know, we can do this. And I think that's a, that's a really encouraging message. Absolutely. So that's Chris Swan, Associate Director, Sustainability and CSR at Mustard City in Abu Dhabi. Tim, can you let everyone know where they can find us? Okay, to get in touch with us, reach out with your comments or if you've got a story that you'd like to tell, we'd love to hear what you think about either this episode or this series of Naturally Educated. You can find us, of course, uh, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. And there's also our website, ead.gov.ae or our YouTube channel, Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. It'd be great if you could give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. So from us here at Naturally Educated, thank you for listening. I'm Abdurrahman Zaabi. And I'm Tim Elliott. See you next time. Bye for now.